This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tacova's is your first stop for the best in Western style. And by the way, you don't have to be into the Western look to grab a good looking pair of boots. I recently got a pair of ostrich skin round tip boots, and I'm warm with my suit. These boots are so versatile that I can throw them on with a full head to toe suit. And Anthony Smith came right up to me and he's asking me where I got them. Well, I told him the only place to get them, Tacovas. And they have a seasonal limited edition offering. It's right now, this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, accessory, and more. My wife just surprised me with the ostrich wallet and a belt for my birthday, in case you've seen me. I feel like I look pretty sharp in it. I truly do, and Tacova's has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style, plus their direct-to-consumer pricing keeps value on your feet and money in your pocket. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary beverage or two, and shop for new styles. The smell of fresh leather and a friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience quite like it. If you can't make it into the store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-B-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and they ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your favorite pair of boots today. After years of fine print contracts and getting ripped off by overpriced wireless providers, if we've learned anything, guys, it's that there's always a catch. So when I heard that for a limited time, all Mint Mobile wireless plans are 15 bucks a month when you purchase a three-month plan, I thought, what's the catch? But after talking to them, it all made sense. There isn't one. Mint Mobile's secret sauce is that they sell wireless service online. They cut out the cost of retail stores and pass those sweet savings directly on to you. I haven't skipped a beat using Mint Mobile services. I have a great service even when I'm traveling for over less than 70% of what I was paying before. Listen to Uncle Chael and say bye-bye to your overpriced wireless plans, jaw-dropping monthly bills and unexpected overages. Mint Mobile is here to rescue you with premium wireless plans starting at 15 bucks a month. All plans come with high-speed data and unlimited talk and text delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. Use your own phone with any Mint Mobile plan and bring your phone number along with all your existing contacts. Ditch overpriced wireless with Mint Mobile's limited time deal and get three months of premium wireless service for 15 bucks a month. To get this new customer offer and your new three-month unlimited wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month, go to mintmobile.com slash chale. That's mintmobile.com slash chale. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash chale. $45 upfront payment required. That's equivalent to $15 a month. New customers on first three-month plan only. Speed slower, above 40 gigabytes on unlimited plan. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. They'll hear this and think, well, how could Chael say that about us? We're sportsmen. I'm helping you, you dumb sons of bitches. Nobody's talking about you, and that includes you. 
happy Friday, and thank you for joining another special episode of Your Welcome. Guys, we are just one day away from UFC 291, and coming up on today's show, I'm going to get into all the 291 drama, plus the stuff that's been going under the radar. I even want to tell you, are you guys interested in Blahovitz versus Pierre? Because I know that I am. Could this be Tony Ferguson's final fight? And of course, I'm going to give you my official predictions before we get into everything related to Salt Lake. I want to tell you about something I witnessed last Saturday in London. Michael Bisping, man, he said some beautiful things about Tom Aspinall. He said he's going to be the champion of the world. Uh, he, he brought in John Jones. Bisping put him over, said how great John Jones is. And Michael really does believe that. He he believes really great things about John Jones. I've had private conversations with him and heard that. He acknowledged all of those things in the interview that I'm referencing. He said, but Tom's better. So as a matter of fact, Tom would do to John what he did over the weekend to Tybora. And I'm going, really? I mean, I was thinking that he's going he's to walk him down. He's going to set him up. He's going to throw one down the middle. And he's going to knock him out. Like, wow, that is tremendously high praise. Bisping does have a respect and a loyalty to fellow British fighters. I, I've got to disclose that. But even with that in mind, this was easily the highest praise I've ever heard Bisping give somebody. That includes himself. Even when he's built built up himself, it wasn't as far as he went with Tom. And I just, I just want to take a closer look at it because I also see something very special with Tom. I don't have very many faults. I didn't have a problem with Tom the night that he lost to Curtis Blades. I thought he performed fairly well. He went out and hurt himself. Lesson learned. Tom was a young guy. And he also has a level of respect that he shows. And sometimes his interviews have gotten in his own way. Dana White quoted Tom last week, building up to the fight in London. He quoted him and it wasn't positive. He said what Tom said, which was, I'm not ready for John Jones. Dana said, he said, I don't, I don't know what to do with that. You talk about who's next. You talk about title fights. You're talking about, this is going into the fight. Should this be a number one contenders match? He's like, how, how can I do that? How can I do that when the guy himself who's favored says he's not ready? I got to take him at his word. I'm, I'm just sharing with you that if you were to be critical of Tom, you would have to turn things uh, like that. Well, if, if you're talking about an athlete and you got to turn to things that he said as opposed to physical things that he did, I'd say he's in a pretty good spot, right? We give Tom a hard time if we want, but if that's all we got, we don't have much. Not to mention he rectified that entire situation on Saturday. He cleared that all up. Laid out a roadmap. There was two things about that roadmap that confused me. And Tom, who's also done media since, said that he got that idea from Bisping. That Bisping, somewhere in passing or something they call fighter interviews, that's where the commentary team meets with every single fighter, ask them some questions. They're completely unhelpful. But it's part of the process. And Tom said he got the idea. For Michael and that he went with it. And of that roadmap, which is the single best that's laid out in our sport, you will not have a division anywhere that has as clear of a roadmap laid out that is multiple steps as the one that Tom laid out. So therefore, he's got the best idea and the best strategy, the best narrative in our entire sport. That's true. 
it doesn't make it right. And there's two problems with it. There's two problems. First off, he included Surreal Gone. So if Tom was to get one of the bosses to come in and sign off, okay, we got a tournament, we got it going on, we got a round robin, we got these three guys, here's how we're going to lay this out. If he was to get them to come in and sign off on that, they would be committing that whoever of those three emerges gets the opportunity. There is no scenario where Surreal Gone gets back in that cage with John Jones. None. None. It could be a last-minute replacement where anybody can get an opportunity. They'll cancel the fight before they give it to Surreal Gone, okay? So that was one of the problems. And the bigger problem is the path did not include Sergey Pavlich. Now, the good news is you can forget Sergey Pavlich anytime that you want to because he'll let you. The fact that Pavlich has not stepped up in a massive capacity and made himself the backup fighter for Madison Square Garden is such a lack of responsibility by him to his own career. It is such a lack of responsibility by his management team. It is inexcusable behavior from a professional standpoint. Well, you've got contracts and you're paying and you're counting on people. The fact that Pavlich has sat here quiet as Tom Aspinall laid out a plan to a title which provoked a response from the champ himself. The fact that there was a main event that was heavyweights over the weekend, there's main events that are heavyweights coming up in Paris. Sergi doesn't even have an opponent that I'm aware of. Oh, and by the way, if you find out he does have an opponent, don't don't act like you just got one over on me. I just I've even I've strengthened my point even further. Sergi has an opponent, and I don't know about it because he does such a crappy job of telling people. You've strengthened my argument. I don't believe that he has an opponent. I don't believe that he has anything. I do believe he's next in line. I do not believe you're going to have any type of a three-way dance and you're going to leave him out. But you can do just that if he doesn't put himself in. And he's done nothing. When I, when I tell you the irresponsibility by his management team that they have sat here quiet, when I tell you there was a main event over the weekend, three guys got called out, his name didn't get mentioned. Commentator and a Hall of Famer named Michael Bisping has done interviews on it. The biggest voice in the sport, yours truly, I'm helping him. Right? They, they'll hear this and think, well, how could Chael say that about us? We're sportsmen. I'm helping you, you dumb sons of bitches. Nobody's talking about you, and that includes you. You have a guy who is 29-1, and one. his last six fights, he won all of them in the first round by finish, which we're told in this sport is supposed to matter. And they brought in an over-the-hill who hasn't fought in three years, and they're going to take him to the Mecca. And they haven't mentioned you. I'm doing you a favor, and I'm trying to help you, but I'm not going to keep doing it. By the way, Sergi. You either take a hold of your career, and if that's not what you want to do, you hired somebody to show you how to throw punches because you weren't good at doing that. And you're paying somebody to teach you grappling because you're not good at that. Pay somebody 
to take over your social media. Pay somebody to go out and form a relationship with the media. Everything I just said about you, I did on my own. Your people didn't contact me. Why? I hear from everybody in the sport, including promoters. I've never heard from your team. So get your house in order. Hire the right people to do these things. You should be the number one contender. You're the rightful guy to be fighting here. You should be the backup fighter. You're the rightful guy to do that. They've leaned on you before and you did it. There's rewards that come with that if you ask for them. But you will not get anything. And I know, I, I know you're a guest. I want to treat you with that respect. But here, you don't get anything that you don't ask for. John Jones, world fattest guy, maybe most dangerous man on planet Earth without a weapon. As an unarmed combatant, John Jones, maybe, maybe. <laughs> I can't assure you there's anybody more dangerous. And I share that with you because I would assume with that comes a courage. Or the courage was there first, and that's one of the elements that you had or attributes to get to the dangerous spot we're referring to. And last night, John Jones sends out some tweets. There's no profanity in him. There's no illicit photos. There was no inside information. He sent out some tweets. He defended himself. And then he deleted them. What do you make of that? What, what what should we make of that? I, I can't think of too many more weak plays in our sport than saying something and not standing on it. I, I can't think of too many things in life that are weaker than that. But we see many of our toughest guys, many of our most respected or successful guys, it's a, it's a commonality they have. And I don't personally believe that they delete it because they realize it was inappropriate or it was offensive or it was over a line. If it was any of those things, my goodness, there's a mechanism to take that back, hit the delete button, of course. But that isn't what happened here. And I will see a number of guys. We're talking about John right now, but I could bring in many other guys. They will put it out. It doesn't go well, so they take it back. They get a response from the Twitter sphere that is not the direction of the response they thought they would get, meaning it was negative. Somebody said something. Somebody didn't like it. Somebody got up their ass about it, and so they deleted it. And it's a really, really weird thing to do. It's, it's weak for one, but two, it doesn't take the act away. Not to mention, it doesn't even delete it. Right? I mean, it's the internet. It's, it's, it's out there. And John does get in a position from a narcissistic standpoint where you cannot ask him anything that challenges him, that, that pushes... Weird buttons with him. 
John had made some comments. He said, I feel like this is deja vu. It was in response to Tom Aspinall. He said, I feel like this is deja vu. You get a guy, you get him a little bit hot. He's the next big thing. I then fight him. As soon as I get done beating him, people go, well, that guy, was, that guy was never all that good in the first place. And they move on and they find the next best thing. And John was saying it from a standpoint that this bothers him. He was making a very fair observation. And John is right. Like, that is how it works. You, you just you just can't shake the guy and you just can't smack any sense into him. That's the business, you idiot. Like this thing that you're trying to stop, this thing that if you had a, a magic wand and you would make it stop, this isn't right. If you don't have that, you don't have a business. You don't have a check when this is done. You're back to your days of wrestling where you're putting down an entry fee, working your ass off, and nobody knows about it when it's done. And you don't know where your meal is going to be. I mean, I'm just sharing for you. It's literally what creates this business. And John, as a narcissist, think he's the only one that goes through it. Everybody goes through it. There is nothing unique about John. And I'm also wondering, am I even right? Did he take it down because somebody hurt his feelings? Because I don't have proof of that. It's a suspicion I have. But I don't have proof. I have another suspicion which is when John starts talking about Aspinall or a guy from that era or anybody that isn't Stipe, somebody grabs a hold of him and says, hey, don't forget, we're running the this is your retirement fight angle, which is just a, it's a crappy angle. I mean, whoever's idea this, it's a crap angle. Retirement fights do not do well. They have never done well. You're, you're attempting to invoke the only law of economics that even matters, supply and demand. I understand it in theory, it's not the way it works. It is the surest path to losing fans. Because one, you're either a liar, which would be the case here. He's not retired. But one, you're either a liar. We Now we can't trust you. Or moreover, we do trust you. My career as a fan does not end when your career as an athlete ends. It will transfer. I will transfer that energy and those hopes and those emotions and those jerseys and I will put it on somebody else. So then when you try to come back, I'm already on this bandwagon. It is truly a rotten idea. And where did it come from? John Jones, for the talent that he is within sports, fights in front of more people dressed up as empty seats than anybody. There's no Tiger Woods and he's in that category. John's that good. There's no LeBron James and John's in that category. He's that good. Those guys don't fight in front of empty chairs. John does. So who is it that's grabbing him and telling him we need a spoof and we need an angle? You versus Stipe isn't enough. Our numbers tell us you versus Stipe is not enough interest. You suck at promoting. He's not going to promote at all. We got enough footage and enough fans, and you guys have been around long enough. I think as a third party, we can start to tell a story, but we are living in an era where we count on you, and we sure as hell know we can't count on you. So who is it that's telling him that he needs to do a spoof? And it's not like a maybe. It's not like a maybe that, 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 that this is worried that this doesn't draw. This fight didn't even get announced until it was made crystal clear that Conor McGregor didn't want the date. So it's a, it's an afterthought to start with. And then secondly, we're told that the card is about to get spruced up with Colby Covington's presence. I'm not hating on that. By the way, I'm not being my typical jerk of a self as it pertains to John Jones. I'm sincerely wondering what's going on here because there's much better marketing minds. 
John has access to me. He could come one one text message. I'll lay this whole thing out for him, make him millions of dollars. Who is it that he turned to and gave him the advice to act as though this is going to be your last fight? We're now going to threaten the fans. We're threatening them. Buy this. Come to this. Support this. It's the last one. I'm never giving you another one. You better be here at this one. Who is it that gave that rotten idea? And is that why we're deleting? Is that why we're not starting and talking about Aspinall? Is that a piece of it? I must admit for you, I don't have any proof of that. It's just an idea. But there was no reason to delete any of those tweets. There was nothing explicit. There was nothing mean. There was nothing over the line, whatever the hell that means. It wasn't even a maybe. This all stuff was fine. Why did it get deleted? And then Aspinall had a great response, by the way, which is he said, uh, John, chill out, mate. <laughs> that was it. But it was a really good response. But, 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 but it is an ultra eyebrow raising thought that John feels he's in a unique position because the audience is talking about what's next, who's next, who can beat him. Let's just say that those things aren't there. That would mean, if we were to follow the laws of logic, that we have to go to the opposite side of that. The public does not believe anybody's next. They don't have an interest in seeing anybody face John. They don't believe that anybody can beat him. The only distinction of why lots of empty seats are watching John fight versus all the seats are empty is that. So to be frustrated on the only thing that brings people in the door, it doesn't make you weird, doesn't make you unique, but it does make you just a little bit stupid. Paulo Costa and Chemayev. Guys, could it get here soon enough? I mean, could it get here soon enough? We're ready for it, right? And it, it seems like we need it. Now, this was my prediction a week ago. This is why you come to me. You can't, you can't get this anywhere else, truly. You, you, you really can't get it. It's, it's almost like I have a crystal ball, truly. Chemaya versus Paulo Costa is so relevant from a dramatic standpoint, from the drama and the buildup. It is so relevant. I cannot relate to a time when we have looked forward not to a fight more when we've looked forward to a fight longer this fight was promised to us months ago i went on errol hawani's show and i announced it that was after i spoke to chamayev and paulo costa the fight got broken up they broke it up and put paulo against a russian on the salt lake card that's going down this weekend they saw the air in their ways broke that fight up after a training camp and put Humpty Dumpty back together again. So we really have been talking about and anticipating this fight for a meaningful amount of time. They got the organic back and forth at the P. I remember that when Paulo and Jake Shields are doing a workout and Chemayev comes in and he starts right in on him. And Paulo jumps up. I remember when he did that? Remember how good Paulo looked and he looked and he Paulo's charismatic. 
Like Paul, Paulo's face lights up and his eyes light up. And remember when he did all of that? Paulo then came out and said, why? He said he didn't understand him. He said he didn't know that he was trying to attack him. He thought he was saying hello, which I fully believe. I fully believe. I mean, the way he got up and walked over there when there, were, there was a whole group of them. I believe him. I don't think he knew what the situation was, but I'm just sharing for you. Look how much we're looking forward to this fight. And nobody's even brought that forward. Nobody even brought that footage forward. Nobody's even told you that story. Some of you might not have known that until I just said it. This fight is going to be huge. That's my point. And the reason that's such a big deal from a dramatic standpoint is Duplessis turned a fight down. And he did it with the belief that it'll be there for me when I'm feeling better. And that is not how it works. Now, that doesn't mean Duplices can't get the fight. By the way, if that's the one Izzy wants and Izzy goes out and gets a win in this Australia card, they're not going to punish Izzy. They're going to give Izzy what he wants. Sure they would. Duplices is very clearly the number one contender. I don't change any of those things. I am here to tell you that two weeks ago, he was guaranteed a title shot. And I'm here to tell you right now, he no longer is, but he thinks he is. He's wrong. He is no longer guaranteed that his next fight is for the belt, which means he may never fight for the belt. I mean, that's what it means. It's that big of a deal. And I was able to tell you this two weeks ago because I knew when the time comes, Shemaev and Paulo Costa are going to make their fight so big, it's going to be named a number one contender's bout. It is all but already named. Dana White has never said Paulo Costa versus Shemaev, number one contender's bout. He hasn't said that, but he did say Shemaev's next fight, if he wins, he will fight for the belt. So he's already, he's, he's 50% of it, right? The, the, the B-side's done, or the red corner's done, you just got to worry about the blue. So then what does that do to Duplessis? And I'm just sharing that with you from a dramatic standpoint. And now we find out that Sean Strickland doesn't have the match. And the only one in, in the ranking, that you, a name that you'd even recognize is Jared Cannonier. Unless, much like the miraculous recovery of Charles Oliveira. I mean, Charles Oliveira came out to the media and told us he cannot and will not fight Islam in October. One week later, he signed a contract to do just that. So maybe we got a little, we got a miracle going on out there, and maybe that miracle found its way to Duplessis. Maybe. Maybe that's the big announcement. Suddenly feeling better. I don't know. I'm just sharing for you that when Paulo Costa and Shemayev is done, we will know who the next opponent for whoever the champion is, I predict. That's what I'm predicting for you. Paulo Costa has come out and told us he is going to knock Chemayev out in the first round, which was actually a counterattack to Chemayev saying he's going to get Paulo Costa out of there in the very first round. And the match is so interesting because if you're going to beat Paulo, how are you going to do it? How are you going to do it? I mean, you, you take him down? If you're a wrestler and you're wrestling heavy, I, I guess you're going to take him down, right? That makes sense. Well, are you going to take that guy down for three rounds? Are you going to take that guy down for 15 minutes? 
Can you? I mean, are you that good? And Jemayev's a damn good wrestler. Oh, boy, he's good. But are you good? You could take that guy down and keep him there? Taking him down at all is something Yoel Romero could not do. Other guys have found their way on top. Maybe they slipped. Maybe they went down. I mean, I remember I remember that Rockholt was on top of Paulo Costa. But before you bring that to my attention, Paulo allowed him to stay on top. At that point, Paulo was just eating up clock. That's different. I mean, that's just different. I'm, I'm just saying, if, if Jemayev's going to win and he's going to run right over him, he must be going to come out and take him down and beat the hell out of him, right? Boy, if he could do that, I'd be so impressed. I would be so impressed. If he did that for one round, I'd go, wow, I'd really take notice of it. If he could do that for three rounds, that's a hard ground and pound. Some guys just are. Some guys are a hard ground and pound. So now you're stuck on your feet with a guy they call the Terminator. And they call him the Terminator after they previously called him the Eraser. I mean, this is not a guy to play with. That's all I'm saying. And I could say all those same things about Chemayev. How in the hell are you going to beat him? He can take him down. Paul Costa doesn't take people down. He could. He's got the rest. He doesn't, but he doesn't do that. So the fact that Paulo doesn't like to do that as an offense in conjunction with how good the defenses of Hosman are, can we just agree he's not going to take him down? Okay, how is he going to beat him? On the feet. Going to have to. Going to have to bully him. Going to have to push him. Possibly clinch him. Lefts and rights and strikes. What an interesting match. I mean, do you believe that's to be true? I don't think you believe that Chemayev is going to go take down and keep down for 15 minutes, Paul Costa. I don't think that you believe that. Whether it happens or not, I think that we would bet heavily that we don't think that's going to happen. Do you think that Paulo is just going to pick apart and bust up the face and go to the liver and make quit on the feet? Chemayev, I don't think you believe that either. But one of them's got to be true. Some something here is going to happen. Something has to be true. It is a massively interesting fight. Massively. I cannot wait to follow the line at DraftKings and just see what you guys are thinking. See where this is going to go. You have two big guys whose last concern is making weight, by the way. <laughs> Neither one of them gives a damn about making weight. Chemayev is likely to make it, considering he's going to middleweight. Paulo's likely to do whatever he wants, considering he hasn't fought in 13 months. And that's as of right now. As of right now, he hasn't fought in 13 months. By the time October rolls around, I mean, who can make 185 after two years of not making 185? I mean, there's, there's a lot on this. There's a lot on this. I can't wait. Chemayev versus Paulo Costa. I'm not telling you it's the fight that you've looked the most forward to. But I am telling you, it's the fight that you've looked forward to the longest. Masvidal and Askren, boy, they just can't seem to get it right. And that is an interesting feud. It really is. Askren, who never has sour grapes about anything... In his life, you don't ever hear him talking about the Olympics. You don't ever talk about him talking about a wrestling match, which is his true love. George Masvidal fight. 
it's always driven him crazy. And I don't think he had any problem losing it. I don't think he even had a problem with the, 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 the time in which it took. I think he had a problem with having his face pushed in it like the puppy that missed the paper by Masvidal. That's just what I think. Ben's never said as much, but I am right in giving you an analysis that he has never let something stay with him from a competitive standpoint, ever. He is the king. He is the king of dropping it and going home and going back to his life. Ben put out a photo the other day. Just him in the wrestling room. Him at the Askren Wrestling Academy. He's got his shirt off and he's kind of doing a little flex for you. And he just says, I've, I've stayed in shape. I am retired. But I'd come out to fight Masvidal. And then there was some kind of a back where Masvidal came at it too, which was a little bit of a surprise, all right? Like if you're in Masvidal's spot, would you ever want to risk that? Would you would you ever want to fight a guy and risk the record-setting surprise match that sent you over the top as a needle-moving star? Well, apparently Masvidal has no problem with that. And by the way, I don't know how many of us ever bought Masvidal's retirement in the first place. There's a very big difference in, I don't believe the UFC is ever going to book me again. Let me get in front of this thing. And I'm never going to compete again. There's just a big difference. And most guys do have visions or illusions of a comeback. But Masvidal, at least for me, it never felt like he was done, ever. I mean, I just, I, I, a feeling that you have. It was sincere and it was real. I'm leaving Usada. I'm leaving the UFC. I, I could sense that. But the hunger and wanting to keep on doing it just seemed like that was still in his eye. Small observation, but I bring that to you because if these two are going back and forth the way that they are, could we make that match? And if so, how? Are we going to fight pass in a situation like George St. Pierre is getting ready to do? Which, by the way, it was announced that St. Pierre is taking on Damian Maia. That, that is not true, just to clear that up for you guys, as of now. Is it a grappling situation? I don't think so. I don't think that that would solve Ben's problem. I, I don't think that Ben would all of a sudden feel like he evened the score by taking George's greatest weapon away and making it his. I, no, I don't think so at all. Well, could it be a bare-knuckle boxing? Yes. Yes. I mean, Ben would go and agree to that. Could it just be an MMA fight? Yeah, probably the most likely. And I bring that up, Masvidal's got a promotion. And they're hemorrhaging money, but the fight game exists. From amateur boxing, amateur, it exists because you can keep finding a guy who's willing to lose money. And eventually it's all gone, and then you go find the next guy. Like, like literally since the 1800s, you do not see boxing unless you have that element. And it happens all the time. Matter of fact, we right now have an entire country who's willing to lose money. Could that be where they're going to fight? And it does feel like they're getting ready to do something. And it also does feel like Askren knows something. Just what it feels like. And I don't know that George 
would be so quick to do it in his own promotion, but the fact that he does have a promotion that does appear to have very good capitalization, it's certainly got exposure, it's got distribution, it's an option. I think there's a couple of other places as well that might show a level of interest. I'm just bringing it to your attention now because I don't think this is something that's going to go away. And the way that his Pete George's interest, I think, does prove the fact that he never fully wanted to be retired. Even if physically he did, mentally he was still attached. Very normal. I just thought it was more obvious in his case. If I was to give you a prediction on very limited information, I guess it would be as simple as Askren Mosvall Part 2. If I was to bet, it's going to happen. We got some real drama on this main card, guys. I don't like the theme that this could be Tony Ferguson's last fight. If he loses, he won't be here anymore. I don't like the theme, and I don't think it's it's my place. I don't think it's your place. But if we were to guess and to historically think about what happens to every guy in the history of the organization that loses six straight that isn't named BJ Penn, we would be very right to say they call it a career. And I I only bring that to you because that's very dramatic. And if you're looking for drama, I feel that Kiesa and Holland are in the same boat. That one's going to catch a little bit off guard. But... Holland, as well as he's liked, really does need to reestablish himself here. He does. And it is possible to be cut in a situation where he gets defeated based on how he gets defeated. I would not bet a single dollar on that, and I'm not really leaning there. I'm just bringing it to your attention. Like, like. I might say cut or release to get your attention and actually means something else, but at a minimum you would be reduced, right? You're going to go from main card to undercard. You're going to go from a main event down to main card, down to the undercard, which is just a step away. I'm just bringing it to your attention. Then you have Kiesa, and with Kiesa you can go back and forth, right? win some fights, and he's just a world beater, and the crowd's starting to like him, and he's even done main events, and he's done some mega matches, and a number one contendership against Kevin Lee, I mean, he's had some big fights, big moments, total stud. And you can slip a loss in here and there, that's kind of what an MMA career is, and you go win a few more, and maybe something doesn't go your way. You can do that back and forth, be cool in the getting and stayed employed at an age range. Once you pass a certain age range, all those rules change. You want to talk about history and what's happened to other guys and when did they get cut? And they have similar records to me and he was able to stay around. At an age range, that's true. But once you get out of what is viewed as your prime, and don't forget, the UFC is only 
only, and they have fiercely adhered to this, they are only a place where champions and contenders fight. There is nobody around because they're a draw. There's nobody around on a favor. There's nobody around because we like you. There's nobody around because we got a contract. It just doesn't work that way. If you ever show, and by the way, you can lose and you can lose and you can even lose again all in a row, but not be eliminated from having the potential of being a contender. Because, you, you know, how do those matches go? Who are they uh, against? How tight were they? How close were Where'd you look at these positions? Are you focused on learning from there and then fixing these things in the gym and you've made that public and people know? I mean, I'm just sharing for you. If you still appear to have the potential to be a contender, you don't have to have a perfect record, but there's an age range where that changes. Kiesa has passed that age range. He's passed the age range from this is a cute young man to, hey, this is an athlete. Are you, in fact, a contender? And if you are, there's just not a lot of room for air. And this is an extremely winnable match for Kiesa. You want to know the other side of that story? This is a very winnable match for Holland. I just don't think this is going to be tit for tat. Both of those guys like to be on the ground. Kiesa is awesome on the ground. Go look at his record. Look at what he's done to guys on the ground. Now, the other side of it is Kevin Holland is a very big man. But he's also got a very long and tall frame. It's going to cause problems for Michael. It just is. Kiesa might work through those in a couple minutes, kind of get a feel for him. He might. But he might not. It might just be an awkward position. And it is greatly going to matter when they get to the ground, who's on top and who's on bottom. You do not want to be underneath Kevin Holland, but you also don't want to be underneath Michael Chiesa, and you're more likely to be under Michael than you are Holland, right? I mean, it's one of these matches where you just keep going around. I love the match. I love the booking. I'm just bringing to you guys, like, there is some massive drama on this main card. And when I talk about what your record is, and you can win some, and you can lose some, you go back and forth, that is cute, and that is true, and history is on your side at a certain age, when you pass that age, there is no more room for air. Derek Lewis is in that spot, but so is his opponent, Pazone. Now, I know Pazone as well as anybody. I got to coach him in Brazil, season three of The Ultimate Fighter. And he's awesome. And he's hungry. And he's a big problem. He's a great, big, strong problem. And I could say all those things about Derek as well. So I just bring this to you. When you look at this main card, I think this thing is loaded. If I was to ask you, and we call it a sleeper fight, but if I was to ask you, hey, go take a look at this card. What do you think the sleeper fight is? What's the one that you're excited about? You're probably going to scroll your eyes to Tony versus Bobby, and you're going to take a good look at Kiesa and Holland, but then you're going to notice that Derek Lewis is on there with Pezone. You're going, man, this thing is really loaded. You're right to do that. And you think, well, it's, it doesn't greatly affect the rankings. It doesn't, uh, these aren't number one contenders, and, and these isn't title elimination matches. You're right to think that, but guess what they are? They're career matches, all three of them. They are potentially career matches. They, at a minimum, will change your career. Whoever gets beat in any of those matches I just named, at a minimum, is not returning to a main card. That's called a demotion. If you're in the promotion business and you're not going up, which is quite literally what promotion means, if you're in the promotion business and you're going this way, 
when I say cut or I say dropped or I say release, like you don't actually have to literally be those things to still qualify for what I'm speaking about. If you're in the promotion business, headed down. I don't bring this up to put any pressure on these guys, and I don't bring this up because I wish it. I'm fans of everybody's. I just said, I'm just bringing it to you prior to the fight so you understand what's at stake. And it doesn't stop there, guys. Doesn't stop there. Whoever doesn't win between Bihera, Pierre, and Blahovitz will never be discussed for a title again. Whoever doesn't win in your main event between Dustin and Justin, two perennial contenders. Any question you have at 155 pounds, Justin's the right answer, and so is Dustin. Whatever the question, I don't even care. You don't even have to finish it. Who should Connor fight next? Who should Chandler fight if Connor doesn't fight? Who should be in for the title? Who should they call on when Charles Oliveira officially pulls out like he's going to do of the fight with Islam? Who, Dustin or Justin? Always the right answer. Whoever loses that fight will never be discussed in championship form again. This is not the release card. This is not the fire card of the year. This is the demotion card of the year. There are huge stakes, possibly like I've never seen. Up and down and across the board, the stakes for the losers are larger than anything I have seen in a collective bunch as far as pay-per-view MMA cards go. call for somebody's retirement. At least I think that about myself. Because you're you're talking about not only the end of a career, but it changes their identity. It's a very hard thing. Now, everybody's going to have to go through it. I'm just saying it's not my place to call for or say when. You're also talking about making them unemployed. Right? If you have a professional fighter and you tell him he's not going to fight anymore, you just made him unemployed. Like it's It's a rude thing to do, quite frankly. And it's something that's just, it's its somebody else's decision. And you hope that it would be theirs. But you do have athletes that never see that light. And somebody else has to come in and make that decision for them. I don't want Tony Ferguson to be done. Tony Ferguson is great. Tony Fer, It's between Tony Fer, or Ferguson and Gilbert Melendez for the hardest working MMA athlete I've ever seen. Tony's getting ready to fight Bobby Green. And Tony's lost five in a row. I don't care about that. But when you look at the level of competition that he fought, I I don't care about that. I'm just sharing with you it is relevant. The relevance is this. Most contracts are three fight deals. If you have a loss, they can cut you. If you have two losses on a row, they're going to cut you. If you're on that first three-fight deal, meaning two of the three didn't go well, you're going to be gone. If you're a veteran, if you're a draw, if you move the needle, if you're fighting only on main cards, your next contract could be bigger. You could do a five-fight deal. would be very standard. Now, very few guys have signed eight-fight deals. I have never heard of a contract that was more than eight fights. Doesn't mean it didn't happen. Just trying to talk standard with you so that you understand this point, okay? If you're on a losing streak, you don't get re-signed. And 
What I mean by that is there there is a number of guys, let's say they have a five-fight deal, they'll do one or two fights, right? There's there's a number of fights left. Real standard if you're getting re-signed is when you have one left, so we know what to do with you, we know if we got you, we know if there's a return on the investment. There's some real important business decisions Why when you have one fight left. There are certain guys that will shine. Israel Adesanya just comes to mind, where they got him for five more fights. F- forget all that. Let's bring you in. First off, we're not paying you enough. Second, we need to have you locked up a little bit longer. We've, we've got a long-term plan for you. What do you think? And then they both talk, and everybody agreed in that specific case. You signed the deal. But I, I, I do want to make this point for you. That was Izzy winning, Right? You got a five-fight deal, let's say, and you win the first two. And all of a sudden, you're turning some heads. You're coming from the undercard to the main card. You got a five-fight deal, and you lose the first two. There is no scenario, and there's no example in the history of the sport that you could give me, where they come and go, hey, you know what? Let's resign. That always comes with more money. Always. That always comes with more fight. Always. Well, they're not looking to do that if you've lost a couple. So, I don't know where Tony's contract is at, but I know... If it's been five, okay, I I know nowhere along that way would they come in and re-sign him. So this will now be number six. So I would have a question without having knowledge. This is is the evidence that I have. I would have the question without having knowledge, is this the last fight on his contract? Are they allowing him to fight out his contract? Let me give you a different scenario. Tony goes out there and wins, of which he most definitely could do. I am by no means writing off Tony Ferguson. I'm sharing for you, if he goes out there and wins, do they then just give him another fight? Is it the last one on his contract and that's not even an option? Does he have a seven-fight deal? And they will give him that other match. I'm sh- The point that I'm trying to get at while I'm dancing around is this could be Tony's last fight. And... I don't have a problem if he goes out there and wins and calls it his last fight. I don't think that you guys do either. That's just a very uncommon thing for an athlete to do. They will generally get as absolute many as they can. It's very tough to imagine that in a situation with five losses that someone is still a feature match. But he is. That's a compliment to Tony. And Tony hears this. I hope he understands that. That's a compliment to Tony. That means there's an understanding of the courage that it showed and the competition that he took on and the willingness that he did it and the preparation that he went through and came out and was professional the entire time. It's a compliment. If he was to lose to Bobby Green, it's tough to imagine just by the numbers, right? And where would it be? Could you imagine it on a pay-per-view? If you do, could you imagine? Right, I'm talking about a loss here. I mean, we're just we're just we're looking at both sides of this, and then we're six in a row. We're talking about a loss here. Could you imagine he returns to a pay per view? If he does, could you imagine that it was a feature match? So now you got Tony Ferg and he's jerking the curtain. I mean, this is one of the great needle movers. This is the guy that was going to go to New York City, sell out an arena at the Barclays versus Khabib. I, th- I think that that's a stretch. And if he was to have a victory, and he could go out on top like so few do. Would he? And if he would, is it by his own choice or is it because his contract's up? I mean, how big is that contract, right? We know about five of them and now we know about this is number six. Does he have a seven-fight deal? Is he one of those crazy guys that had an eight-fight deal? Maybe I, I don't I don't have enough information here. I'm just sharing for you that you never know when the end comes. 
I mean, right? There could be somebody else on the card I'm not even mentioning. It could be Bobby Green for all that we know. I'm just choosing to address Tony. This is a very interesting fight. Tony versus Bobby, it, 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 this is one of the star fights of the card. This, this is matchmaking at its finest. I don't know who the favorite is. I was over at DraftKings and I saw it, but now I can't recall. And I'm just sharing with you, if, if Tony was to win and he went out on top, that would be pretty cool. If he was to lose, he it could be the last time that we see Tony Ferg in the Octagon. And for somebody with a career like that, he's owed something. He's owed our respect. He's owed our attention. He's owed our appreciation. I think he has all of those things. But to really be able to embrace something and to savor something, sometimes it's helpful to know that it is the last time. I don't know the spot that he's in, but I know there's pressure in that. And I know none of the thoughts that I just said, well, I might be the first one that said in public, but I didn't say anything that hasn't gone through his mind. And as we get to the press conference days of fight week, this question might come up. I'll be curious. I'll be curious what Tony's answer is. And Blahovitz, Piera. I feel like it's a big fight, but I feel like nobody else does. I mean, I have told you guys before you can run a million dollar analytics department if you want as a way of hedging your bet and forming a prediction how a match is going to go, or you could go to my YouTube page. They are hand-in-hand, hand, not some of the time, not occasional misses here or there, 100% every time, always, with no exception. And I'm getting the sense that you guys just aren't that interested. Why is that? What's the miss here? This is the next best thing to a super fight that you've got, right? I mean, you have, you have two world champions from different weight classes. And as opposed to two guys walk out like Hogan Warrior and they both got a belt and they're going to fight for one and they're going to unify it. As opposed to that, they've both been removed of championship status, but now they're going to fight at a weight class. I mean, this is parody that you never thought you were going to get. You never thought you were going to get the 85-pound champion versus two five pound champion. You never thought you were going to get Jan versus Alex. The most decorated kickboxer in the sport versus the Polish Hammer. Adesanya waited on this. And I really do love the respect that Adesanya speaks of Piera with. I think it's sportsmanlike. And the whole time that Izzy did it, he did it with a little bit of a chip in, on his shoulder and a little bit of edge to it because he thought he was going to have to see him again. And he still isn't sure that down the road, he's not going to have to see him again. So it's a very calculated compliment. And I just appreciate it. Not a sign. I mean, he's, he's called him a monster before. More recently, he said, look, I fought both of these guys. Alex hits harder. It's not just the technique, but it's the angles of his shots. I think this is the quote. I think Alex hits harder. I word it like that because I think Alex hits harder lets you know where the power lies in a common opponent's mind, but he does make it sound like it's somewhat close. 
right? Like, I think he hits harder is a little bit looser. It's a little bit looser than a laugh and going, oh my God, Alex, oh, jeez. Nothing like it, right? It's, it's, it's different. That speaks to a compliment also of Jan's power. Daniel Cormier came out and said, I've seen Jan almost decapitate people. Alex cannot get hit by him. And, and, and Alex is awesome. I mean, when he hits mitts, you can see you're watching a different animal there. But some of his basics are garbage. I can't just say bad. I can't just say not good. They're garbage. If you're in a fist fight and you're doing it with your hands down, it doesn't matter if they're down here where Alex keeps his. It doesn't matter if they're down here or if they're cut off completely. If they're tied behind your back, there's no difference. If you don't use them to protect your face, there's no difference. There's no difference if if they're here or here. Like, this isn't better than here. Or here's better, or here's better, or here's better, or here's better, or here's better. They all suck until they're here. And I just, I, I'm only bringing that to you because the better you get, the more you let those basics go. It's cool. I came from the world of wrestling. When a guy gets good, he'll start wrestling, he'll start putting his elbow on his knee. On the first day of wrestling practice, the coach will tell you, do not put your elbow on your knee. And you don't see anybody put their elbow on the knee, except for guys on their first day before they get straightened out, or a guy that's really good. Then he wrestles with his elbow on his knee. So it's one of these things to demonstrate just how good I am. And I, I don't want to pick on Alex. I just bring it to you that from a fundamental standpoint, if you're a young kid and you're watching and there's the champ, don't fight like him. Don't put your hands down. Ever. In a fight. He got him knocked out last time, and if he gets knocked out this time, he's likely to be knocked out because his hands are down. Like, there's certain things that you just can't do. And if, if you take a guy who's not as good, and Jan is not as good at stand-up as Alex, and we wouldn't dispute that because we'd be disrespecting the entire sport of kickboxing, right? But that doesn't mean that Jan can't beat him in the stand-up. Matter of fact, it doesn't mean that Yon can't beat him badly, that Yon can't dominate, that Yon can't finish him in the stand. It doesn't mean any of those things. If I'm a better fighter than you, and we're going to fight, and out of nowhere, I hand you a stick, and I give you a baton, I give you a bat, just to show the audience how good I am. Do you, well, do you see where that could become a problem? Do you see where I could regret that? Do you see where I just helped at least to a large degree to level the playing field? And that is what Alex does when he goes and fights guys with good power and he puts his hands down to try to look cool. I mean, it's right. It's not a lot of things you can be critical about Pierre about. He is a beautiful, well-accomplished, powerful, ice running through his veins, well-conditioned, big, strong, experienced athlete. I mean, he checks every single box. But even Superman had a kryptonite. They all do. You just got to find it. And his is, for whatever reason, I want to look cool. And you don't look cool with your hands down. I mean, that's the big miss. In wrestling, when your elbow's on your knee, you don't look cool. The guy that looks cool is the guy that gets his hand raised at the end of the night. It's one of those things. It's a mistake. Mayweather wanted to look cool. Mike Tyson wanted to protect his chin. There's a meaningful difference. I just think it's an interesting fight. I think it's a fun fight. I also think it likely sets up that division. 
And they didn't put the title on this. They didn't put an interim title on this. Whether you're waiting for Jamal to come back, you're waiting for Prohaska to come back. It seems like if they come back in a timely fashion, they are likely to be taking on the winner of this, which becomes less likely the more I find out that you guys aren't interested in this. And I just want to know why. What's the miss here? Do you not think it's going to be a fun fight? As personalities, are they not interesting? Do you not want to see them back in title contention? I mean, is that in fact the problem? Have we identified the wrong match as a number one contender's match, and that's annoying to you? I'll listen to anything. But please don't deny. Please don't leave me comments and tell me, oh, we love it, Jail. You don't love it. I can prove that. The numbers prove that. Official prediction, guys, I'm taking Blahovitz and you've never heard me say that before. I've never picked him in a fight. I mean, I can go all the way back to when Luke Rockholt went up to 205 pounds and they were trying to shine Luke up to make him a number one contender to take on John Jones. I thought it was a good plan. I thought it was going to happen. I thought Luke was going to beat him. Part of that speaks to my appreciation for Luke Rockholt's skills, but it's also a miscalculation of Blahovitz. And... He's excellent, and he's hungry, and three rounds is easy for him. Now, that's also a compliment I would have to give to Pierre, but I'm taking Blahovitz, and I, I share that analysis with you because that wasn't that sophisticated. A much more sophisticated analysis would be the X's and O's. Well, you know, Blahovitz steps this way, and Pierre always makes this mistake. I mean, if I was actually break that down, I'd find a left hook from Piera to be the biggest threat that Blahovitz is going to have to deal with. I just think Blahovitz is going to surprise him like he's been doing me for years, like he did all of us in his very last fight with Uncle Liam. Blahovitz was supposed to get smoked by Uncle Liam. Blahovitz beat him at least in rounds. He beat him three rounds to two. That's official. You guys remember the math on that fight? Blahovitz first round, Blahovitz second round, Blahovitz third round. Uncle Liev fourth round, Uncle Liev 10-8, fifth round. Boom, you got a draw. Beat him three rounds to two. If that fight would have been scheduled for what it should have been scheduled for, which is three rounds, there should be no five-round fights, it, Blahovitz not only beats him, he skunks him, beats him 3 nothing. 30-27. I mean, I'm just sharing with you. He continues to surprise us. Blahovitz versus Izzy. Supposed to just be a stepping stone to get to the mega fight of Izzy versus Jones. Supposed to just be a stepping stone. Blahovitz comes out. He shows us he's got the grappling. Shows us he's got the patience to deal with the great strikers. Shows us that power can earn him a respect to put them on the defense a little bit more which shuts down their offense. I mean, I'm I'm not convinced that Blahovitz isn't going to go stay on his feet, that he isn't going to trade, that he isn't going to find something that he does well. Don't forget, that's all he did with Uncle Liah. He came out with Uncle Liah, boom, he threw a leg kick. I think he was surprised. That landed with no defense and no repercussions, by the way. A lot of times a kick will land, but then you get the repercussion, right? You get the straight right down the middle. Now all of a sudden you start asking yourself, is this worth it? 
He goes, how do you kick Uncle Lai? If it lands, I think Blahovitz right there did the math. Okay, well, this kick works. Let's go to it again. And he did. Okay, that's worked twice. Now, why wouldn't it work a third time? And it did. That's very good. That's fight IQ right there. That's very high stuff. Find one thing that works on a guy in a match and then just keep doing it. The theory being, if he couldn't stop it the first time, he's got no extra training, his coach hasn't broken it down, he's got no film to study, it's going to work all night. And it's true. It does all the time and all forms of combat. But it takes an intelligent guy to recognize when it happens, which Blahovitz was. I mean, predicting Blahovitz to beat Piera, that, that is a massive prediction. And I don't think it's one I would have given you yesterday, last week, or last month when it was announced. I'm finally coming around on the idea. And I think that Piera is really something special. I also believe when he went through 185 pounds, there was a lot of good fortune in those draws. There really was. There was a lot of good fortune. It's hard for me to imagine that Piera could have gone the hard way, which would be through Paulo Costa, it would be through Chemayev, it would be through Whitaker. Now, I'm not second-guessing him, I'm just sharing for you, I do feel his path at 185 was very helpful. At 205 pounds, there is nothing helpful about fighting the Polish hammer. And so this is where the rubber meets the road. I mean, this is going to be a gut check. We really are going to find out. Was it hand-picked and was he crafted to clean out one side of the bracket to get in there without a sign of who he knew very well or not? And the or not is, is he good enough and tough enough? I believe that Pierre is going to have a real confidence only because his mentor and training partner, cornerman and coach Glover Teixeira is familiar with Jan and had tremendous success. Just to remind you guys, that's how Glover became world champion. He took the belt off Jan. Or does that create a pressure? Does it change the situation? I don't have the answer to this. But one thing about Blahovitz. Yes, I have seen him fold to pressure. That's true. Yes, the lights have gotten too bright at times. That's what the Glover fight represented. But that's never happened in a non-main event fight, right? And pressure is different when you're not the marquee, when the eyes aren't you, when the title's not up, when the five rounds aren't there, when the media tour wasn't the same. I don't think the Blovitz is feeling pressure. I expect Blahovitz to fight to the absolute best of his ability. I expect him to be given a golden opportunity on a platter in the form of a microphone. And then I expect him to drop that like a hot potato. That is my prediction. Dustin and Justin, what's at stake, guys? Everything. Truly, everything. One of them will be a champion. One of them will have one of the most coveted titles. And that started becoming more and more clear. We're now having guys calling for title shots, and they're not calling for undisputed or interim. They're calling for BMF. Max Holloway did it two days ago, just for example. The winner of Dustin and Justin will become a champion, which will mark their second championship, which will mark the first time anybody in company history 
in the sports history, industry-wide, has been a division champion and a BMF champion. It is a massively big deal. The other side of the coin, whoever does not win at their age will never be discussed for a title again. The winner puts himself in a very good position to go and fight Islam in Abu Dhabi in October, which is currently a spot on the poster reserved for Charles Oliveira, who's not going to do the fight. My source that he's not going to do the fight is Charles Oliveira. Charles has said three times he's not going to do the fight. I mean, I'm just bringing that to you in case he does go do the fight. I don't want to be uh, my credibility. Oh, chill, come out and say he's not going to do the fight. No, I'm, I'm quoting, but I'm quoting a really good source. Him. But that's how different this is. The winner of this fight becomes the BMF, which will make history. That will be a record. Records are made to be broken. You guys have heard that. It's also true. They're great motivators. You can use that with kids. You can use that with the pros. You can use that with the men, with the women, and Little League, and the majors. It just works. Records are made to be broken. But there are some records that can never be broken. Very few. But there are some. By example, first, that can never be replaced. Whoever wins between Gaethje and Poirier will be the first ever BMF that was also a divisional champion. One undisputed and one interim. Please don't think you need to correct me. It's an incredible thing. At their age, however, one of them won't come back. And at the risk of sounding redundant, who do you think that's going to be? When I sat down right now to make you this piece, I sat down to bring you my official prediction, of which is Poirier. And there's no favoritism and there's not a great analysis there. I've seen these two fight. I don't feel that any either one of them is meaningfully better. I don't believe either one of them has a new technique, nor should they. They're with the same coaches at the same gyms and the same sparring partners. But I also don't feel that either one is reduced. And I thought when Gaethje went into Fitzayev, that was probably going to be the beginning of the end. What goes up must come down, and we all know that. And I would not expect Gaethje to go out against Fedzaev and be as up as he was the night he fought Charles. I would expect a little bit of a down. If he comes down, is he still good enough to win? That was the question. But that's not the question that got answered because he didn't come down. He was just as good as he has ever been. And it was his idea. You would be stunned in this sport, how much the athletes call their own match. I come from the sport of wrestling. Let me give you an example on this. I was at wrestling practice last night. Let me give you an example, and you wrestlers will understand this. You would be stunned at how much a wrestler decides if he's taken down. And takedowns worth two points. They're big points. You would be stunned if a wrestler looks like he's not down. He looks like he's still alive. He looks like he's still scrambling. The referee will let that go. There's a sigh. No matter how quick and no matter how short, there's a body language release when the wrestler starts going down to a referee's position and thinking about a stand-up as opposed to defending the takedown. He will concede. When he concedes, the referee will call it two points. 
you will see athletes at the end of rounds. Some of them look like they won the round and the other one doesn't. You will be stunned how much that body language will influence the judge. He'll trust you. He will look at you to see if you won the round. If your opponent's not disagreeing with that, then you won the round. If one guy throws his hands and one guy looks down like this, even if the guy looking down stomped you, the judges will, no disagreement, you think you won. You won. You'd, be, you'd be really surprised how much you get to call your own shots. And I bring that to you because what you see, split screen and this guy's barking and this guy's barking, is called promotion. 99.9% of the time, both guys know who's going to win. Sometimes they get surprised. Sometimes they surprise themselves. It's called fighting outside of your gloves. Just in a colloquialism to mean you fought above your expected capabilities. Happens all the time. It's what dreams are made of, but most of the time. Both guys know. And the great fights... The great fights are when both guys truly believe the answer to that question is them. You just you haven't got to see that 10 times in your life. But the truly great fights, that's the difference. Not the punches, not the kicks, not the elevation training, not the paleo diet. It was a mentality going in where they both truly thought the answer to that question was them. And Dustin versus Justin, I would imagine that Poirier has a full confidence considering he's already beaten him. But Poirier's not the one that asked for this fight. Gaethje did. I don't know of a fight that Gaethje has ever asked for. I remember the night he was getting ready to fight Michael Chandler. I remember the back and forth between Gaethje and and Daniel Cormier, as Cormier was giving Islam the rub. But to remind you, Gaethje wasn't calling for a fight. He was calling that you acknowledge that he get the opportunity to the biggest fight prior to Islam based on current accomplishments. He did not actually challenge the champion at that time it was Charles Oliveira. He did not actually challenge Islam, who Daniel was discussing was number one contender. He didn't actually ask for a fight. So I stay by this. When I tell you I don't remember a time that Gaethje asked for a fight, he asked for this one. He's not asking for fights that he's going to lose. At least he's not asking for fights that he believes he's going to lose. And he hasn't elaborated on that. No media member has asked him the question, Justin, you are the one that suggested this fight. Dana agreed, Dustin agreed. All came the BMF and the crowd and the all of this came after. The main event, all these things came after you asked for it. So how long have you wanted this? I didn't know that first fight haunted him. I didn't know it stayed with him and bothered him and was something he thought about. I realize he hasn't said all of those things, but he asked for the fight. Who asks to, to fight a guy that can beat him? Who has to fight a guy that's already beaten him? Who has to fight a guy for five rounds that already beat you and he beat you because you got exhausted when that fight was only scheduled for three? I mean, right? Dustin knows something. He feels something and it's compelling. When's the last time Gagey's been wrong? 
And Poirier accepted. He was willing to put it all in line. He was willing to go and deal with all that violence again. And this time for 70% longer because they've added two rounds. It's a very interesting match. And the great matches, the truly greats, and you haven't seen 10 of them in your whole life. You might have seen fights that you liked. You might have seen ones that you enjoyed. You might have seen ones that were full of action. The truly great fights are when both guys know who's going to win but disagree because they both think it's them. They truly think it's them. That was why it was a great fight the first time. That's why it's going to be a great fight this weekend. You ask me for prediction, I predict Poirier. You ask me for an acknowledgement of greatness engagement. You got it. All right, guys, that's it for today's episode. Thank you for listening. And to those of you who leave reviews on Apple Podcasts like this one from Donnie, which says, great content and no nonsense. Well, thank you, Donnie. Enjoy the fights. Come back for my reaction on Tuesday. Check me out on YouTube right after the fights. Until then, I'm Chael Sonnen, and you are welcome.